Good morning. It is good to be with you. And for those of you who are joining online, it's good to have you along as well. Um, we are uh, in this gathering at 10.30. We are at the moment in a series uh, called More Like Jesus, where we are exploring what it means to become more and more like Jesus. And we're doing that by looking at the life of Jesus in uh, one of the four stories, uh, one of the four accounts of his life in the New Testament in the Bible, in Luke's Gospel. And we are in Luke chapter 5 today. Um, And we're going to be starting reading at verse 27 in a moment. So for those of you who have a Bible along, uh, a book or a a phone or want to Google it now, uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 27, um, and you can follow along. But before I read that, I just want to sort of set the scene in terms of what some of the themes and ideas we're going to be exploring today are. Uh, Because what we are looking at today, the, the sort of title, is we're looking at living an offensively good life. That may sound um, odd, but we're thinking about what it means to live an offensively good life. Um, I don't know if any of you, well, I do know that some of you are on uh, Strava, uh, the app that keeps track of uh, fitness and things. I find some of the people that I'm friends with that I follow on uh, Strava offensively good um, at, uh, at athletics and at running and at all of those kinds of things. And I look and I compare myself and I go, wow, that is, that's not just good. That, that's so good that it's sort of offending me because um, I wish I was more like that. Um, what we see in the, in the passage today is we see uh, Jesus and the way that he interacts with some people um, offends people. There are people who are offended by Jesus in this passage. And there are other people who, who people want Jesus to be offended by, and Jesus is not offended by them. Um, and I just want to highlight, before, before, we, before we read the passage, just so we've got a sort of a lens through which to look at it, um, there are two things that can happen with offense. The first is that offense can be given. I can set out to offend you. I can use certain words or phrases. I can say things that are unkind. I can say things deliberately to try and press your buttons and to try and cause offense to you. The other thing that can happen is that offense can be taken. Oh, there we go. Offense can be, can be taken. We can, we can take something that is, that is not designed to cause offense, but we can look at it. It may not even be something that's directed towards us. It might not be about us at all. And we can look at it and we can say, I am offended about that. Of course, when offense is deliberately given, it will often be taken. But sometimes we can take offense when actually there's nothing offensive happening at all. And what we see in this passage is it's the first of a few sort of episodes in a row of Jesus encountering the Pharisees. And we're going to think about what was motivating the Pharisees a little bit today. But in these verses, what we see is that the Pharisees were very good at taking offense because of the actions of other people. They're offended by people. They're offended because Jesus isn't offended by them. And what we see is that the Pharisees turn that, and they are very good at causing offense, at pointing out things in other people in order to try and offend them. But what we see in Jesus, as we read these verses, is that he does not take offense at other people, even when when there's other other people who want him to. And he also does not set out to give offense. So let me read these questions. We're going to be asking why the Pharisees behaved in that way and why Jesus behaved in the way that he did as we seek to understand and become ultimately more like Jesus. So let's read these verses. Like I said, we're starting at Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, 
So this is after Jesus had healed a a paralyzed man. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So that's the passage we're looking at today. So we've got Jesus and we've got the Pharisees. And like I said, this is the first of a few episodes in a row. And next week, we're going to be looking at some other times when the Pharisees found what Jesus did offensive and there was a bit of disagreement between them. But really, the problem that the Pharisees had with Jesus is that he thought that they they were interacting with the wrong kinds of people. They say, why do you eat and drink with these kinds of people? Why are you spending time with them? They're the wrong kinds of people. And in particular, it's a, it's a group of tax collectors. We know one of them by name, Levi. Levi was also known as Matthew. Matthew, one of the 12 disciples he would become, uh, one of the writers of the New Testament Gospels. So this man was a, was a tax collector. I'm sure many of you will know why tax collectors were not liked. They were Jewish people who were kind of employed by the occupying Roman forces in order to get taxes from their own people and give them to the Romans. So already they're going to be not liked for that. But often they were known for taking more than they should and pocketing the difference. So these were known as disreputable, dishonorable, dishonest people who had sold themselves out for the, for the oppressors. These are the wrong kinds of people. Why are you dealing with them? Why Why are you eating with them? They've taken offense because Jesus is interacting with what they see as the wrong kinds of people. But why does this matter so much? Throughout the Gospels, throughout the stories of Jesus, the Pharisees are often the, the sort of the baddies. They're the ones who often come up at odds with Jesus. But what's actually motivating them? Are they just sticklers? Are they just trying to point out error? Do they just, is that something that's in them? Or, or is there something, is there a reason? What would, have, what would they have said their answer was to why it was so important that Jesus not do exactly what Jesus is doing here? <clears throat> I think it's helpful for us to try and understand a little bit of the context, a little bit of what's going on. And we see a little hint of it in verse 30. Because, because when we look at verse 30, what we see is that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples. And they complain, you know, why are you eating and drinking with these people? That little phrase, the people who belonged to their sect, gives us a little clue. Because the truth is that the Jewish people at the time were not a united people. The Jewish people at the time Jesus came were strongly divided on a few things. And one of the number one hot topics was, what do we do about the Romans? What do we do about the fact that we are not free in our own land? What do we do about the fact that there are people who are governing us and telling us what to do and oppressing and taking taxes from us? How do we, how do we restore our land to the way we know it should be? How do we restore the kingdom of Israel? How do we rest- restore the kingdom of God? And there were very different answers to how to get there. They knew the situation they were in. They wanted to get to a place where they were free under God to live as they chose to live. 
as God called them to live. But how do you get there? And there were four very different answers that Jewish people at the time gave, different sects that they were in. Two of them were pretty extreme. The first is the zealots. I'm going to explain them by way of emoji. The first was the zealots. The zealots were essentially the terrorists of the Jewish people at the time. They would, they would, they would capture and kill Roman centurions. They would, they, they would try and instigate revolt and, 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 and throw off the oppressors. How do you get from being under Roman occupation to freedom under God again? You kill the Romans. You get rid of them. You fight. That was what they thought the approach was. On the other extreme, you had a group of people called the Essenes, and they were people who, 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 who retreated, who, who, who just said, we're going to avoid it all. Um, you may have heard of one of, the, one of the oldest manuscripts of the Old Testament is known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. That was found in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a bit of pottery in a cave because this, this, this Jewish community that had retreated completely from the world and lived in the cave and, and, and studied the scriptures there and, and ignored everything that was going on around, they just retreated. They wanted nothing to do with it. And as a result, we have a really good manuscript. So that was another approach. Then you have maybe the two that are a bit more famous in the Gospels. You have the Sadducees and the Pharisees. So the Sadducees, they were people who, who, who thought, well, how do, we, how do we get back to where we want to be? We need to get some power back. And so they went, you know what? It's not ideal, but we're going to work with the Romans. We're going to get ourselves into positions of power and authority. We're going we're to maybe compromise on a few small things so that we can get a bit more power and then we can live the way that we want to live. If we give them a little bit, then maybe they'll give us a little bit more freedom. And so it was the Sadducees that were involved in making the tax collector thing happen. So that they were, they, they were saying, well, we're, gonna, we're going to pay our, pay our dues to Rome. Maybe we'll get a little bit more freedom as a result. They were seen by, the people, by a lot of Jewish people as people who'd, who'd sold out. People who'd just cozied up to the Romans for their own benefit and sold out the rest of their people. And then you've got the Pharisees. And what was motivating the Pharisees is that they were saying, we need to stay pure as God's people. They didn't think they would get their land back by fighting for it. They didn't think they should just be recluses. And they certainly didn't think that they should just be politically minded like the Sadducees were. What they thought was that once the whole Jewish people had become pure, had started to live according to the way that God called them to live, then and only then would the Messiah come. Then and only then would God restore his people. They said, if we do what we need to do. If we live according to the law that God has given, then he will come through for us and restore us to our land. Jesus, by the way, challenges all of these in his ministry. He, he doesn't challenge just by pushing away. He had a zealot as one of his disciples, Simon the Zealot, one of those freedom fighter Jewish people was invited into the inner circle. We know that Levi, who was a tax collector, Levi, also known as Matthew, is invited into that inner circle, even though he would have been very much in the Sadducee camp. Imagine the conversations those two would have had. Jesus challenges all of these things because he says to the zealots, you don't, if you live by the sword, you die by the, by the sword. Blessed are the peacemakers. To the Sadducees, he, 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 he challenges that. He, he challenges the idea of, of not remaining pure to what we know is true just in order to get ahead in the world. He challenges by his very life the idea of just staying away from it all 
Because Jesus is constantly coming close. He came from heaven to earth, and then he went into loads of different situations to get close to people. He doesn't just hide away in a cave. And he also challenges the Pharisees. Because these Pharisees, we start to get an idea of what it is that's really worrying them. They're looking at Jesus, a Jewish person, mixing with these sinners, mixing with these tax collectors. We know that he also mixed with with prostitutes and with different kinds of people who everyone else would have wanted nothing to do with. And they're saying, Jesus, if we don't all remain pure, then all of us will suffer. They weren't able to just say, well, you know, can you just... You do what you want, we'll do what we want. They were saying it was only once everyone had become pure that, that God would act and that God would move. And Jesus challenges that in passages like this. We might in some of these be able to draw some parallels between the way that we as Christians engage to the world around us and draw some lessons from the way that Jesus challenges those as well. But their concern is that everyone needed to pull their weight or all of them would suffer what does Jesus say in response to this? Well, see, Jesus doesn't just, isn't interested in the wrong kinds of people and thinking about that kind of thing. What Jesus is saying is that their way of thinking is the wrong way of thinking. And he says this, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. See, the Pharisees had taken offense at the tax collectors. The Pharisees thought these people are wrong, they are sinful, they are not pure, they are not doing what we believe is right, and so we, should have, we want nothing to do with them, and Jesus should want nothing to do with them. They've taken offense at the tax collectors, and then because Jesus isn't offended by them, and even goes to a banquet that's being paid for by all of that dirty money, because he's not offended by them, they take offense at Jesus by association. But Jesus is not afraid to mix with broken people. I've got a picture up there of some, of some dirty hands, of some muddy hands. See, what the Pharisees thought is that if they spent time with someone who was unclean, who was dirty, who was sinful, that would rub off on them. And the Jewish people as a whole would become unclean and dirty and sinful. What Jesus knew is that when he went to those who were dirty and unclean, his cleanness could actually impact them. The Pharisees were worried that they would catch the grubbiness. Jesus wanted to share the life. He wanted to share the solution. He wanted to share the the healing. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. The Pharisees wanted to be pure, to remain pure, and to be seen as pure. And anyone who didn't behave like that was an offense to them. I think as Christians, we can sometimes be a little bit like this as well. We can sometimes just want to keep our own hands clean, regardless of whether there are others that actually need us to lend a helping hand. We want to be seen to be pure, to be righteous, and purity and righteousness are good. Pretending them, not so much, but when there is a genuine heart towards remaining pure, remaining righteous, being good in the ways that God defines what good is, that is a good thing. But when that, when that elevates just a little bit higher to the point where we don't want to even be seen associating with anything that isn't right, that isn't yet good, then we start to lose the heart of Jesus. There's a verse in the New Testament which for many, many years was translated like this. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. And in the King James Version of the Bible, it's translated as abstain from the appearance of evil. 
Abstain from the appearance of evil. It's not what the verse says. It wasn't a good translation. The actual translation would say something like abstain from every form of evil or abstain from even the smallest evil, which are very different things. Because if we want to avoid the appearance of evil, then we'll stay away from anyone who we might be guilty by association with. But if we're trying to avoid every form of evil, we can come close to those who we know are broken, those who we know are sinful, those who we know aren't living as God wants. If we're not worried about what other people think, if we're not worried about being guilty by association, it's not enough just to say, as long as I keep my hands clean, everything's okay. Jesus models something different, and he calls us to something different as well. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. When I was a student, I was a student in Oxford, and when I was there, there was a petition that was going around a lot of Christians at the time, because there was an application that was put in by, by a company, by a business, to open up a strip club in Oxford, just opposite where one of the churches was. And there was a petition that was going around the Christians at the time, opposing this. I didn't sign that petition, not because I wanted there to be a strip club in Oxford, I absolutely did not, but because the petition itself was saying that it was the location and the proximity to a church that was inappropriate. They should find another place for it. I, I didn't sign that. Again, I don't want there to be more strip clubs in the world. I think strip clubs are awful places. They're places of abuse, often involving trafficking, often involving manipulation. They're places of lust and the corruption of the gift of sex that God has given us. They're places that trample on biblical concepts of modesty and biblical concepts of self-control. They are awful places that expose the very worst of humanity, not the very best. There will be no strip clubs in heaven. I just want to be very clear where I stand on that, because what I'm saying is that I do not want there to be more of that kind of thing in the world, but as long as there is, as Christians, we shouldn't just be saying, as long as it's over there and we don't have to look at it, that's okay. As Christians, we should be saying, where there is brokenness and evil and wrong in the world, we need to allow ourselves to come close. Now the truth is, I'm a hypocrite. Because as I've reflected on that more recently, I've had to face up to the realization that I'd moved away from Oxford before any such establishment came. It never ended up happening. But if it had, and if I'd been going in to worship in that church, and there was this strip club open just opposite, would I have gone and spoken to the people who were going in or out? Would I have sought to do anything to help those who were working in there? Possibly not because they wanted to, but because they were being forced to. Would, would I actually have done something, or would I have just averted my gaze and wandered in, Bible in hand, to go and worship with Christians? Probably I would have done. Because the truth is, it would have been super uncomfortable, super, super difficult. I would find that kind of thing really, really hard to engage with. So I'm not the hero of this story. In this story, this story we're looking at in the Bible, I'm not in the position of Jesus. At times in my life, I'm the Pharisees, looking at other people and saying, I find them offensive and I don't want to go anywhere near. And I kind of wish that Jesus didn't too, because when he goes, I know that I do as well. 
But the other people I am in this story is obviously I'm the tax collector, I'm the sinner. I'm the one who Jesus could look at and go, well, he's broken, he's dirty, he's impure, he's selfish. And Jesus could say, I don't want anything to do with him. But he doesn't. Thank God he doesn't. He comes close to me. He comes near. What about us? What about you? What kind of person is it that you would most struggle if they moved in next door? What kind of person is it who, if they ended up working in the office next door to you or the cubicle next door to you or in your department or being your boss, you would most struggle and find most offensive? What would it be for you? Or if they joined our church, became part of this family and community and were worshipping alongside, where is it? Because we all have those biases. We all have those things that we find so uncomfortable and so difficult that we don't want to go near it. For the Pharisees, they just wanted to stay pure. And purity is a good thing, but not at the expense of taking the love and life and light that Jesus gives us to those who most need it. Jesus knew who it was that he came to. Because we've, we've heard about the wrong way of thinking, that these are the wrong kinds of people, but actually the way of Jesus is different. Because what he says is, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Which I think leads all of us to need to look in the mirror and ask, where is the Pharisee in me? Where is the tax collector in me as well? Because what the Pharisees probably would have heard when Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What they would have heard him say is, I didn't come to call the righteous people like you Pharisees, because you're already fine as you are. I came to call sinners like those people because they desperately need me. What Jesus meant was, I didn't come to call the righteous because there aren't any. There's no one who can claim that label. There's no one who can say I'm perfect. There's no one who every deed and every action and every thought of their heart is something that they are proud of, something that is, that is in line with the person of God revealed to us in the Bible. There's none of them. I came to call everyone to repentance, to turn their life around with me. Repentance means to, to change our mind and to turn around as a result. That's something that everyone needs. Because all of us are in this camp of being the, the sinners. And through his cross, as Jesus died for us, he took that sin that makes us sinners. He took it from us and he put it on himself and he died. And it was killed with him. It was judged with him as God the Father looked away and separated himself from his own son, so that he wouldn't have to be separated from you and from me and from all of these people, all of these sinners who Jesus calls to repentance. So for those of us who are Christians, who are followers of Jesus already, where do we need to repent of some of that Pharisee heart, of some of that judgmental heart of saying, I just want to... So long as I don't have to deal with them. So long as I don't have to be near that. 
Where do we need to open ourselves up to God and say, Lord, help me to see people as you see them. Help me to be willing to go there, even when I don't want to. And for anyone who's here and listening or listening and joining online, who's thinking, I know that I need that. I know that I need to turn to this person who's not ashamed of me, who's not afraid to be associated with me. I want that, I want that God, that God who made me and loves me in spite of my failures, in spite of the mistakes I've made, in spite of all the messes I've made, to receive that forgiveness. If you feel sick before God, the good news is that Jesus came for someone exactly like you. If you feel as though you are already completely healthy before God, I'd encourage you to open yourselves up again and ask him to show you where is there greater health that you want to bring about in me. This series is about becoming more like Jesus. I'm not going to get there until I die or Jesus returns. None of us will, but we keep taking steps forwards with him. And part of that is about opening ourselves up and saying, Lord, as I look in the mirror, show me. Show me what I'm like. Show me the good bits. Show me the bad bits. And not like, a, not like a zealot waging war in our own strength and trying to fight off the sin in our, our life. And not like, a, not like the Essenes who would just, just try and escape and pretend uh, 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 and avoid everything. And not like the Sadducees who will, who will do a deal and say, well, okay, I want to deal with this bit of sin in my life, but I'm going I'm to give in there. I'm going to sort of compromise there. And not like the Pharisees who just want to try and remain pure by avoiding anything around us that is impure. We don't take those ways. We take the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus who comes close, who calls a spade a spade, but who's willing to engage with everyone. Welcome everyone in, including you and including me. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are not ashamed of me. That you are not embarrassed to be seen with me. And Lord, for anyone who lives with deep shame, who lives with guilt and regret. I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit in these next moments, be showing them the depth of your love and embrace of the fact that you are not ashamed. And I ask that by your Holy Spirit at work in us, you would make us more like your son, Jesus. That we would be transformed into his likeness. Including specifically today that part of him that would embrace and welcome everyone. And call them to more and call them to greatness and call them to repentance, but never saying they could only come to him once they'd already done it. Give us that heart for our neighbor.
for our family, for our colleagues, for our friends who it can be hard to love, for those who've hurt us and for those we see hurt others. By your spirit, would you make us more like Jesus, I pray. Amen.